Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are We're going to 2 Peter uh, chapter uh, 2, and once you're there, uh, shoot me an amen, an amen, nice and loud and proud, so that way we could get started. And chapter 2 special. As I was preparing for, for chapter 2 of Second uh, Peter, I, um, I was happy and I was sad a little bit as well. And um, because it's crazy how, how time flies. Uh, I think last week we, we said it, but I'll, I'll repeat it for this week. Today, it's our 12th study, our number 12 uh, week that we are in this letter of First and Second Peter that we've called more than a letter. And um, as we are enter this 12th week of this letter, we're actually one chapter shy of closing the, the letter and saying we completed First and Second Peter. And what a journey it has been. At least for me it has. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week as we jump into chapter 3 because chapter 3 speaks about, and it depends what translation you have, it even has it in bolding there, but it's the day of the Lord's coming. So it's a, it's a great reminder of the Lord is coming. Can you say that? The Lord is coming. And, um, and I think uh, it's going to be a special uh, time in his word next week in chapter 3. But before we jump into chapter 3, let's finish chapter 2 and let's go through it. Chapter 2 is a very interesting chapter uh, because it's a chapter where Peter is going to focus on some individuals. Yes, it's written to the whole church. But he's really going to teach the church, correct the church, and focus on a group of individuals uh, that need to be focused on to eventually remove them pretty much from the church because these are what you would call false prophets or false teachers or what we would call false Christians even. Today's message, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's titled, False Teachers Are Not Welcomed. And, and that's a, it's a good reminder because in the sheepfold, many times we see it teaches us in Scripture but if you've ever been in ministry long enough or you've ever been in the church or part of a church family for long enough, you've probably encountered this at some point in your spiritual life where wolves come into the sheepfold dressed up as sheep. And what they do is they try to divide, distract, and destroy that which God is doing in the family of God. Ever been there? And, and that is something that Paul is going to address specifically, not just people that like to cause contention and division, but specifically false teachers, uh, false prophets. And that is what he's going to focus on. So my message is false teachers are not welcomed. False teachers are never welcomed in the church. There's no grace for heresy there, there, whatsoever. Any heretic, the mic must shut off on them. Um, they must be removed from the platform to causing any harm on any individual because that's what heresy does. Amen? So where did we leave off last week? I want to, I know, I, forgive me, I told you to turn to chapter 2. But last week we ended in verse 21 of chapter 1. But I'm going to read verses 19, 20, and 21 because this is how Peter ends uh, 
chapter 1 as we get into this next chapter. He says this in verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. I'm going to pause for a moment. Think about what Peter's doing here. Because of what experience? Well, we learned last week uh, because of the experience of the revelation of God, of what he's done in us. Um, we, we've read in 16 and, and 17 and 18 where now uh, Jesus Christ, we, we, we've been touched by Christ. We've been transformed and, and, and there's something that has happened within all of us. And, and there's a great sign, there's a great move that has happened. And, and Peter says that because of this experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So what is Peter saying in this statement right here that there are prophets that served well? There, there were prophets. You have to remember that when, let's kind of go back to Peter's day for a moment. Remember that when Peter is teaching the church, leading the church, and preaching to the church, remember he's not preaching, teaching from a New Testament Bible. Everyone understand that? The New Testament is not written during Peter's time. It's being written right here before your eyes as he's writing letters to the church. So a lot of his aim, a lot of his focus or what he goes back to to reference is things that maybe Paul have said or obviously the things that the prophets have said. Because the prophets have laid the foundation. They've spoken the word of God. They've spoken for the things to come. And, 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 and if you remember when Jesus was on earth, he would say what? Does anyone remember? As scripture says. And he would always go back to the Old Testament text as well. To give fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets have even said and warned about him. So Peter is speaking in verse 19 that there are these prophets. And there's been a great message that has been shared by these prophets. And these are the prophets of God. He says you, may, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. He says in verse 19. For their words are like a lamp that is shining in a dark place. So Peter is saying the good prophets, these prophets of God, their words were a gift to us. They were a blessing to us. That in a dark place they were a shining lamp. So what they were doing was the prophets were giving light. And who is the light of man? It's Jesus Christ. The prophets of old were already revealing Jesus Christ to the people. And because of that, darkness now receives light. Verse 19 is packed with so much truth. And that's what he's introducing. I'm going to speak about the mouthpiece of God, Peter says. Prophets, the mouthpieces of God. Prophets, the mouthpieces of God. I'm going to speak about them, but I know that as I speak about them, there were these good prophets. There's good prophets. And pay, pay close attention to what they've written to you. Their words are like a lamp that is shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Verse 20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets or those men of God, other translation says, were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Beautiful. So he says here as he goes from verse 19, 20, then to 21, that these prophets spoke, and the words had light, and the words brought light and darkness. We know that already. But as they spoke, they did not speak from their own initiative, with their own agenda in mind. 
these mouthpieces of God, these men of God, when they spoke, they were moved by the Holy Spirit with the purpose of heaven, the purpose of God established in their words. And, and Peter is sharing that. Why is Peter sharing about these prophets? Because he's about to talk about another kind of prophet. Some other kind of mouthpieces. These are the good mouthpieces. This is the fruit of their labor. This is what they've done. This is who they are. They're moved by the Holy Spirit. They're men of God. Their, their words have blessed our lives. They've brought fruit to our lives. These are good men. Everyone with me? Chapter 2 takes a different turn now. Because in chapter 2, he says, well, now we have to be, we, we have, there's warning or there's a danger now over the false teachers. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, let's read verses 1, 2, and 3 just so you can see where Peter's going. He says this, after he just wrote everything that I just told you. In verses 19 through 21. Now, he says this. But, remember that, we've already gone over this, but there's good prophets, there's good men of God, there's great men of God. These are some of the things that the great men of God have done, and you're like, yay, and then he goes, but. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master, Jesus, who brought them, who redeemed them, and in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Verse 2, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality or sensuality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Verse 3 says, in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. All right, you guys see where we're going now, verses 1, 2, and 3? It's a different kind of message today because we're doing verse by verse. We're, we're flowing through the text, so maybe we're speaking on something that we don't normally go through when we do a topical study, but yet this is very important for the church to learn and hear because if it happened during Peter's day it happened during the days of Israel it could still and it does still happen today within the church worldwide globally international however you want to call it it still happens today so in verse 1 he says just as there will be false teachers among you and they cleverly teach destructive heresies and deny Christ and so on and so forth. This is important for the church to hear. Because as we just read in chapter 1 verse 21. Just as there were holy men moved by the Holy Spirit. There are also false teachers among them. Among the church that Peter is writing to. That these false teachers, false Christians or false prophets were not just back in the days that were told of Israel, but that, yes, they were once there, but they're also among you today, is what he's saying. They're not outside the church, but Peter's saying they're also inside, and he's telling the church here in this letter, they're also among you. Can you imagine, I shared this in the huddle, receiving this letter from Peter, and everyone's looking at each other like, hmm, <laughs> you know? 
And, and probably when they opened this letter and began to read it out loud, they knew who they were already. It was written to the church to, to really isolate, focus, put the, the light upon those false teachers and remove them from the church. So what were some of these false teachers or what I would even call false Christians? What were they doing? Well, they were cleverly teaching destructive heresies. They weren't blatantly just speaking it, but they were teaching it cleverly, twisting it in a way where, where it was catching fame and popularity, where it was tricking the church. But at the end, the heresy that they were teaching was destructive for the believer. That's what they were doing, number one. Another thing that Peter says is they were denying, deep down inside, they denied the master. They denied Jesus who bought them, who redeemed them. So Peter is saying this in the opening of this chapter, that they work quietly, they work carefully, their message, their words are filled with deception. Oftentimes, these individuals will be considered good people. Everyone say good people. Yeah, these are good people. But they teach lies and, and these good people do some of the worst of damage. Their lies are accepted far more easily because of the good character, because people fall for them and say, oh, but they're good people. And, 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 and the church was following these kind of individuals, and that's what Peter is addressing. But if you look at them carefully, if you listen to them carefully, you'll see that they deny the Lord, the one whom they appear to serve and to be saved in. They truly deny him. And here is their end, as Peter writes. He says, their end, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. It's a strong letter. It's a strong chapter. It's a strong part of this passage. But, but, but Peter had to address the church in this. They will cause it, destruction upon themselves. The Lord did not cause it. These men that were in the church that were teaching falsely, living falsely, and leading people falsely, they caused destruction upon themselves. You've seen a, a great fall of a man who was maybe, in your eyes, a great man or a great woman of God, and great was their fall and their destruction. And you're like, wow, what a shame that it happened. There was decisions that were made. There was foundational things that happened in that person's life that they caused that destruction upon themselves. It's not because, well, God's not fair and he just destroyed them. No, they, they got to that point because they caused it upon themselves, is what Peter is saying. It's, it's, it, think about receiving this and, and, and you're in the camp and you're like, oh, man, it's a hard letter to receive. It's a great teaching, though. He says in, in verse 2, many follow them, though. Look at verse 2. So I, I've, I've um, exposed this. In verse 1, Peter says, but in verse 2, here's the problem with some of the church, he says, as he's writing to them. Many are following. Many follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, sensuality, lust, filthiness, filthy behavior, filthy um, agendas. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Uh, another translation will say it this way. Many will follow their destructive ways. So the sad and frustrating thing is not necessarily that these people are among the church. If you're reading this carefully, 
The sad and frustrating thing is that so many Christians are following these destructive ways. And that's, that's, that's what's, what has to be warned and, and that's what we need to be careful of. And that's what he's writing. Because of these teachers, he says, the way of truth will be slandered. So when you think about the truth of Christ and the message of Christ, the gospel, his truth will be slandered, blasphemed. His name will be disgraced because of these individuals. People will associate the name of the Lord with such individuals, and the Lord is not in it. The Lord is not pleased with that. You know, someone has a, a, a bad day, and, and, and what does the world do, you see? And they say that they're Christians. Oh, where's Jesus now? It's like they Immediately, people quickly run to slander Jesus and put the blame on Jesus. And that's what Peter is saying, that because of them, his name is disgraced. Because people will look at them and their actions and what they've caused and they will stamp the person of Jesus, the name of Jesus on it when Jesus is not in it. People will associate the name of the Lord with these individuals and he's not there. And there is harm in this and the harm which they cause, it causes to tarnish and dirty that which is holy and pure, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And he says in verse 3, in their greed, they make up clever lies to get hold of your money. They do not hesitate to take advantage of their followers. Whatever way and however they can, how can we get from them? How can we take advantage of them? If you've seen most cults, the cult leader is taking advantage of those who follow them. That's what happens in most cults. They're taking money from them. They're, I mean, look at it. It's the same things that always happen in every single cult. And he says in verse 3, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. English Standard says, as it describes this verse, that false teachers throughout history have been marked and if you look closely, they've been marked by some of the same things. False teachers, false Christians, false prophets. Here they are. What are some of the things that they have been marked by throughout centuries? It's always some of these things. Sexual sin, a lust for money, and dishonesty. If you look at false teachers, if you look at these false prophets, you could always see that they're marked by all three of these or by one of these three things. And Peter's addressing this. These are the men of God. These are voices in your camp. And they're marked by sexual sin, by lust for money, or they're rooted in dishonesty. And Peter was drawing that out, teaching the church of that. And all such teachers face condemnation, as Peter says, face destruction. Very powerful introduction to this message, eh? What's the, name, what's the name of this title? <laughs> now you know why. False teachers are not welcomed. False teachers are not welcomed. All right, let's go to verse 4. And let's read and have a good time with Scripture here. I, let's read a big chunk of this. Um, we'll start in verse 4 and we'll end in verse 9. All right, you with me? Verse 4 says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. 
He threw them into hell, and reading from the New Living, gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world. Everyone say, warned the world. Thank you. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Noah warned the world, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. When you read verse 5, do you see a good God or an evil God? It all depends where, where your heart is at. Later, verse 6, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he turned them into heaps of ashes. At least today we know that they, no one could ever say, you know, at Nest Church they don't preach about sin. At least today we know that for sure we're covering sin. And <laughs> we're all, all right, good. Just making sure no one says that. All right. Later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Turned them to heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. I'm not talking about godly people. So if you're in this room and you're godly people, you're good so far. We're talking about ungodly people. Let's keep going. <clears throat> you know what happened right now, right? All right, here you go. Verse 7. But God also rescued Lot. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah destruction. So God rescued Lot. Remember, he, he protected Noah. Now he's rescuing Lot. Out of Sodom because Lot was a righteous man. And I love how Lot is, descri- I love how Lot is described here. Lot was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented. Love this. So amazing that Lot is described like this. He was tormented in his soul by the wickedness that he saw and heard day after day. Are any of you tormented by the wickedness that you're seeing and hearing day after day? This is where Lot's heart was at. So, verse 9, you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. All right, a lot of good stuff there. So, we read verses 4 through 9, and the Lord condemns, and he deals with we see it starts off with these angels. And don't think for once that if he does condemn these angels, don't think that he won't condemn and deal with these false teachers and all of their followers. If he dealt with the angels, beings that he created in glory, he will also deal with these false teachers on earth and those who follow him. That's what Peter's saying. And then we see different examples that Peter lists and how God judges, and how God judges evil. And all of this description to say that he's going to do the same. Remember what Peter is doing. Please don't forget the flow of scripture. Peter is speaking to a church, a, a, a new uh, a startup. It's, a, it's the early church, but he's speaking a story of old. A story that they're very familiar with. It's a story of the Old Testament And Peter says, here's how God judged evil then. But I'm saying this to you today, Peter is writing, because he will do the same. 
punishment awaits false teachers. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what kind of doctrine you're easily weaned to. Because, uh, you run to because false teachers and, and all of this stuff. Like he, Peter is not beating around the bush. He's saying it how it is. Punishment awaits such a person. But then we see that the Lord is also faithful. How many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God? Faithful to preserve and faithful to save or faithful to deliver. And he's faithful to deliver those who are, as we read through scripture, there is one attribute, characteristic that they all have. He's faithful to rescue those who are righteous. Save those who are righteous. He saves Noah and seven others in his family. What did Noah do? He was righteous and he warned the world. He rescues Lot because he was a righteous man and he was sick of the world around him, of shameful immorality. Or you could say, another translation says, Lot was distressed by the unrestrained behavior around him. A behavior that had no control. People were just giving in to their flesh. Everything was good. Everything was okay. Everything was legal. Do as you please and as you want with no laws, no boundaries, no worry about God and his holiness and his righteousness. If you want to have that kind of lifestyle, have it. If you want to have that kind of thought, have it. Bask in it. And that what was going on, that's what was going on in the days of Lot. And he was distressed by this kind of behavior. Think about that. So as we read these scriptures, we're, we look at this, and I like to say as church that we have to listen to this and read this and really examine because we're living in a troubled time ourselves. A time like no other. Yes, there's been many difficult times in years past, in centuries past. There's been difficult moments. There's been sickness. There's been evil in times before. Obviously, we're not denying any of that. There's been times of war, lies. I mean, there's been catastrophic moments. I mean, moments that have rocked this earth. But these days that we're living in are truly alarming. If you can't say yes to that, then you're living in a cave somewhere. These are alarming days. And I don't use the word alarming lightly. Alarming days. What I mean by this, these are days that there's an alarm, there's a siren, and I believe it's blasting. These are alarming days. These are days that are purposed to divide. Alarming days. But I believe that in these days that we're living, they're serving us. They're serving those who are living on earth. They're serving, they're serving as a time to expose. That there is purpose. Think about there is a purpose Marriage and gender and health, medicine, work, people's finances, so much more. We could go down the All these things are being attacked, but there's purpose in all of this stuff. There's reasoning behind this. I believe God is calling a people to him like no other. And I truly feel in my heart time is ticking and time is running out. It is though as time is ticking and time is running out. It is a good day just like it was for the day of these individuals who Peter's writing to. It's a good day. It's not a bad day. It's a good day. And it's a good time for the godly. 
It's a good time for the believer. It's a good time for the righteous because Scripture gives us a promise. We serve a God who rescues us. In Peter's day, there was a lot going on. They were being persecuted. Many of their family members were taken from their homes, burned at the stake. Nero was not an easy person. Nero was evil and He was killing some of these brethren within this very same church. It wasn't an easy time for this church, but yet God gives them a promise through the letter of Peter, and it's, I will rescue those who are godly. I am with you, is what the Lord is saying. How many of you need to hear that in such an alarming day, that the Lord is with you? He's with you. He says in verse 9, and I'll read it again. So you see, the Lord knows. I like that he says the Lord knows. He knows how to rescue godly people from trials. And he could do that even while keeping wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. As I read this, the one thing that I wrote down and I could say to encourage is is this. We don't lose focus. We don't grow faint-hearted. Our Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. And that's a promise in Scripture. It is a promise that you read. It does not mean that you won't die one day. Don't sit here and say, good, I'm going to live on earth. I'm going to be, no. We we all have a moment and a time. We, We all have that. But we've learned in Scripture that even through that, For the believer, it is good. It's graduation. It's a moment. The Lord knows your every need, your every thought. And he knows how to rescue you in its perfect timing. Amen? He says on in verse 10 and 11, he goes and he says, he is especially hard. So so the godly, he knows how to rescue. The wicked, there's going to be punishment. Verse 10, he's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud. These people are arrogant, daring even to scoff at a supernatural being without so much as trembling. (laughs) Verse 11, but the angels who are far greater in power and strength, so crazy, they do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. You probably read that and said, what in the world is Peter talking about? He's lost it here. Verse 10 and 11, he continues on. He says, these are ungodly individuals. They live according to their flesh. They're not of the spirit. They don't live of the spirit. They're unclean. They're proud. They despise authority. And then he goes on and he says, they mock the ones that they have no power of. They mock such as demons and even Satan himself. They mock the supernatural realm, the supernatural beings. As I read verse 10 and 11, I immediately thought about what Jude tells us. And Jude writes this in chapter 1 verse 9. Check this out. He says, but even Michael... The archangel, Michael, hopefully you've heard of that name before. One of the mightiest of angels 
he did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but he simply told him, the Lord rebuke you. And this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Michael himself, being an archangel, didn't accuse the enemy. But instead, he put it on the Lord and said, may the Lord do to you what you deserve. It's not in my power, but it's in the Lord's power. Everyone catch that? Michael, who stands before the presence of the Lord, could have said, I'm Michael, the archangel, one of the mightiest of angels. And I destroy the enemy today. But instead, he gives its place to the Lord because only the Lord is powerful and able. When these individuals in the church lost the reverence for the spiritual realm and the danger of what it means to mock such a reality, (laughs) we know this as a church That if there's any power, if there's any ability in us to defeat demons, to defeat Satan, anything in the demonic realm, it is in Christ Jesus and it's never in ourselves. We know that. May we never take it upon us that it's in us, in our ability, or look what I've done. No, it's always in Christ and what Christ can do. These men were a mockery because they took it upon themselves and not in the truth of Christ. And because of that, their punishment was grave. We are not gods. All right? We are not gods. And we are not God. There's a teaching out there that people believe they're God. We're not God. We're not gods. We stand on the power of our Lord. And that's what we stand in. I I started to think about this, that as they mocked Jesus on the cross, remember they put the, 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 put a crown thorns on his head, but they put the statement on top of his head on the cross, on the head of the cross. And one of the things that it said, right, does anyone remember what? Right? And he is what? Lord of lords and king of kings and Lord of lords. What a mockery. Here he is. Jesus of Nazareth. Here he is on the cross, naked, bruised, beaten. Here is your king of kings. (laughs) Here is your Lord of lords. I started to think about that and I pictured that vision in in my mind as I was reading through this part of this chapter. And I said, this is interesting because as they mocked him on the cross... They were actually prophesying in who he really was and and who he really is. When they make fun of him and said, oh, here he is, the Lord of Lords, they were so right that he is and continues to be the Lord of Lords. So though there may be lords in the spiritual realm, though there may be gods in the spiritual realm, don't ever forget there is one true God. He is king of kings. He is Lord of Lords. Of Lords and our power and our might, our faith, our strength, our ability is rooted in Him and in Him alone. Amen. Hallelujah. I also thought about Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, verse 15 and 16, for your own notes, 
it tells us about the sons of Sceva. These were the sons of Sceva. They thought that, oh, I love how the apostles and the men of God, how these disciples are going around and they're casting out demons. I can make a lot of money. Maybe I could open up my own business and I could, me and my brothers could go around and we could cast out demons and uh, make some money off it. They had no reverence, the sons of Sceva. They wanted to cast out demons. Remember what I said about false prophets, false teachers? Sexual sin, monetary gain, dishonesty. What were they rooted in? Maybe we could make some money off this. Always rooted in one of those things. They had no reverence. They just wanted to do it for monetary gain. And their outcome was not a good one at all. Let's read verse 15 and 16. I can't read the whole story for sake of time, but you could. But let's just read this, these two verses. It says, but one time when they tried it, <laughs> I, I think scripture has comedy in it, you know. It's like, oh, let me tell you the story. There is this one time when they tried it, when they tried to cast out a demon. And the evil spirit within the man replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? The man that was demon-possessed or with the evil spirit in him leaped on those brothers, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. They were beat up. How was their end? Not a good one. An end of destruction and shame. You think they walked back into that town? I doubt it. They probably moved. I'm not going back in there. That's embarrassing. Why? They had no power. I wrote this down in my notes. They had no power because they had no Jesus. And that is the scary thing about the false teachers. They may have knowledge, but it doesn't matter if they don't have Jesus. Knowledge won't get them anywhere. It's what Jesus is. It's who Jesus is. It's all of that. That's the component of what we're all rooted in. It is that which is Jesus Christ. It's in him. And if you don't have Jesus, then there is nothing else. There is no power behind your preaching. There is no anointing behind your work. There is, it's got to be in Christ Jesus. These men tried to do something outside of Jesus and the very spirit says, we know that man very well. And we fear and we tremble when we see him. But you're not him. And you don't represent him. Paul represents him, so we know him. You brothers are fools. You mess with the wrong group today. And they were manhandled. False teachers. Verse 12 says this. These false teachers <clears throat> are like unthinking animals. I, I love that scripture calls them animals. They're creatures of instincts. They're born. They're born to be cut and destroyed. My gosh, Peter, have some grace. They scoff at things that they do not understand. And like animals, they will be destroyed. Jeez. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they've done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace, I, I love this, and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals, in your love feast, when you break into Lord's Supper and you do the great celebration of love feast. Even in there, they deceive you in the midst of that. Wow. What is 
Peter continuing to say, you think Peter's heart is one of an apostle really trying to care for his church? You think Peter is speaking like a father to children saying, I love you and I need to address some things. He's telling them these individuals function in the flesh, not the spirit. They're like animals. They're ignorant. Be careful for those that function in the flesh and they use the excuse, I'm just real. I'm just living. You know, you just function in the flesh. And that's going to come to an end in your life. It's not going to be good if you don't humble yourself. That's what these individuals were doing. They were in the church and they were just in the flesh. Everything was fleshful. But yet, there was godliness in them. Yet, I'm a prophet of God. You know, it's an individual who makes themselves to be someone that they never were given that by the Lord. They were never given that authority. But they themselves put themselves in a place of authority. And God says, I'm not involved in that. Are you with me? This happens all the time in the church. They function in the flesh, not the spirit. He says they're like animals. They're ignorant, he calls them. They're made to be caught and to destroyed. Listen, the, the ungodly, as Peter says, will be paid for their evil. And I thought about this and I said, man, we, we need to be careful to give attention to, to people that say that God's judgment will not fall upon those who are ungodly. That deny those and their faith and they try to sway you to believe that everyone enters into eternal righteousness of Christ. That's not true. That's not proven in scripture. The ungodly in the text tells us they will be paid for their evil. I love what one scholar says. He says, what these evil men who were troubling Peter's people were doing was to say that they loved and served Christ while the things they taught and did were a complete denial of him. As we read on, here's what these individuals were doing. Here's how they were living out their supposed righteous lives. Can we read verses 14 through 17? All right, join me. I know it's a hard message. Didn't expect a lot of amens and stuff today, but we got to preach it sometime. Next week it'll be happy and it'll be cool. Jesus is coming soon and y'all be happy and it'll be good. <clears throat> All right, let's go to verse 14, 17. We're coming to, an, to the end of this chapter now and we'll wrap it up soon. He says this. <clears throat> they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. Remember these animals, they're animals now. These human beings are animals. <laughs> they commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. So they sin, they're not satisfied. They, what, what, what does that mean? They sin, they're not satisfied. So what do they have to do? I have to sin again. They're not satisfied. So what do they do? I have to sin again. Their, their appetite for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. I love the word lure there. It's like a fisherman who puts the lure the, on the string. And he throws it in the water, and it shines, and it, and, it, and, it, and it just dangles there in the water. And the fish come to it, and they're like, oh, yes, 
it's, it's, it's good for me. It's good. Yes. And they come and they eat it. And next thing you know, it, it yanks them. And next thing you know, there's a hook in their mouth. And where they're at, they're gasping for air in a place where they should never be because they were fooled by a lure that they should have never been into. That, that's what Peter is saying. Be careful. Don't be like the fish. Yeah. That you just fall for any little thing. My God, someone just waved something at you. My God, you listen to every little thing. Like, don't be like that. <laughs> That's what Peter is saying. So let's read. He says, here's what they do. They, <clears throat> verse 14, they lure unstable people into sin. I love that because their aim is unstable people. Who can we take? Of course, stable people will put them in their place. A stable person will be like, shut up and get behind me, Satan. A stable person will say, I'm going to expose you in front of the church. I'm going to meet with the pastor. If it's the pastor, I'm going to meet with whoever you oversee. If it's, if it's someone in the church, I'm going to meet with the pastor. We're going to get you out of this church. You're not good. They know not to mess with a stable person, but so what do they do? They, they put the, the lure so that unstable people could follow them. Unstable people. Unstable people follow unstable people. No? All right. You know what I'm saying, right? Crazy likes crazy. All right, just, man, just having some, some fun with you all. <clears throat> they lure unstable people into sin. They are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have, this is the word of God. This is not the word of Regal. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Burr, who loved to earn money. Stopped from his mad course. Here's Peter again quoting Old Testament. Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey <laughs> rebuked him with a human voice. These people are useless. This passage is so powerful right here. They're dried up springs. Or they're a mist that is blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. My goodness gracious. Can you imagine if Peter preached to you every Sunday? These ungodly false teachers. What is Peter saying in these verses are dangerous. They're dangerous and they're a corrupting presence in the body of Christ. They don't do well in the body of Christ. Not only deceiving those in the body, but they also deceive themselves. Their heart, Peter is saying, is set on the flesh. Their eyes is on adultery, both spiritual and sexual. They prey on unstable individuals to join them in their ways. I'm going to tell you right now that they are equipped. And they are equipped, all right? That's what scripture tells us. They're equipped, but they're equipped not for ministry whatsoever. But they're equipped only for selfish gain. They are truly accursed. Listen, we all, every single one of us here, under the sound of my voice, we all train our hearts in something. You either train yourself into covetousness and lust, or you train yourself into godliness. Amen? And these individuals who Peter is speaking to are a disgrace. He actually says they're a stain among the church. And then Peter goes on to quote from Numbers chapter 22 through 24. They're like Balaam who was guilty, he was guilty of a great sin, leading others to sin. And for the sake of his own gain, for money, Balaam, that's what he always cared about, finances and money. He lived for his God called money. And Balaam had to be restrained. And a dumb donkey had to speak to him because Balaam would not listen. I love the story of Balaam. Go and read it whenever you have a chance. The donkey literally looks at Balaam and starts to speak to him and says, Have I ever spoken to you like this since you've known me and I've been, since you've been riding on me? And Balaam 
actually answers him and says, oh my gosh, no, you haven't. <laughs> First off, you've never spoken to me in a human voice. And number two, it's true, you've never crushed my foot. You've never acted this way with me. So Balaam's like, so what I'm trying to tell you is true. There is an angel that's right there, but because you're so blind because you're in sin, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> hey, what a beautiful dialogue that is. Go to it and study it if you want. But the donkey, a speechless donkey, shows us that an animal in this story, an animal had more spiritual insight than Balaam himself. And that's the same thing that Peter is saying with false teachers. They have no spiritual insight. What does he call them? They are wells without water. They are dried up springs. Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to close because I'm, I'm going to end now with 18 to 22. They're, they're dried up springs. These ungodly false teachers, what they are is they're empty. Please listen to this. They're useless. I can't think of any other word to tell you. They are useless and they are empty. What they are is they're wells without water. You're dying of thirst in a desert and you go and you see a well and you run to it and you drop your bucket. He said, finally, I'm going to. Wow. The prophetic voice of God. <laughs> the prophetic voice of God. Amen. All right. So you, you drop that and, and you go to drink it like, oh, it shows like it's going to give me something. But in reality, it's empty. It's useless. This well, burn it down. It has no use for us in the middle of this desert. Peter says they're like clouds. These are like clouds that, that bring forth darkness. When you see, when you're a farmer and you're in the field and you've been praying for days, let there be rain, let there be rain so that my crops could grow, so that I can make money. And you see a massive cloud coming and it's dark. What do you start to do as a farmer? <gasps> you get on your knees and you thank God and you're praising him because, yes, there's water coming to my field. I'm going to make money. The crops are going to yield fruit because there's a massive dark cloud that is coming. Amen. And he says, False Christians are like a dark cloud that is promising rain. But when you touch them, there's no water. There's nothing inside of them. There's an appearance, but there's no substance inside. <sighs> oh, my rain is here. And it's like, psych. They bring only darkness, but they don't bring nourishing rain. Dude, you can't make this up. Like, who would have thought that it would have rained at this point? Thank you, Lord. What a gift to our church. What a gift. That we will be a people. Lord, I'm going to just. Lord, I pray over this people right now, Lord God. I pray over myself, Lord. Lord, that we would be a people just like what we're hearing hitting this rooftop. That we would be a people that, Lord, that it's just not a cloud of darkness that is promising nourishing rain. But that, Lord, that we would go into dry lands, Lord. And that we would always bring forth the nourishing water that people need. So that the fruit of the Spirit could grow inside of them, Lord. 
Lord, I pray that I and us and we will never be, Lord God, wells without water, that we will never be dried up springs, Lord God, that are useless, Lord God, but that we, Lord God, would always have nourishment and water to give a thirsty people because of that, because of him, because of you who live inside of us. Just as this rain is falling over this building today, we pray that that rain would always flow from this temple every single day. Let there be rain. Let there be water that gushes and let it be in abundance, blessing those that we live before. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we, we agree with you in that, Lord. Oh, man. I just take your rain, Lord, as a... As a These individuals, they arrive, and they arrive to a place to be able to offer refreshment. But in reality, all they offer is emptiness, nothing to sustain spiritual life. All I could say to you, church, is what Peter is saying. They are more danger than they are any good. So we end with these verses. Let's go read it, because if not, we'll never go swimming in the rain. Verse 18 says this. They brag about themselves. You've ever met someone that brags about themselves? Great warning sign. Oh, I'm this person. Oh, I'm, I, all right, warning sign already. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm prophet so-and-so. I'm preacher so-and-so. I'm leader so-and-so. I'm like, no, you just warned the heck out of me right now. Like, you gave me a sign. <laughs> but in all seriousness, verse 18, they brag. And they brag about themselves. Who are we to brag about ourselves? I have nothing to brag about in myself. Because if I were to really tell you about what's really in myself, most of you would never come back to this church again. Because there's nothing in myself to brag about. These individuals, they brag about themselves. If we're going to brag about anything, what does Peter, what does Paul say? If I'm going to boast about anything, Paul says, it's going to be of him. But these false Christians, these false teachers, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Shame on them. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're in verse 20, y'all, and they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. Look at verse 21. It messes with a lot of theology out there. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it. And then reject the common, the, co the command that they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says a washed pig returns to the mud. Verses 18 through 22 as we end. 
the message of the ungodly false teachers, prophets, Christians is empty. The message that they have is of real, of no real spiritual depth content. It may be swollen by big words. Woof, man, that person knows so much. Who cares how much you know if you don't know him? You really don't know anything. Now, it's good to know and also know him. These individuals allure their audience with the lust of the flesh. Just as the crowds, when they would come to Jesus, they wanted bread. Give us bread. Give us a sign. But they didn't want Jesus himself. These individuals promise freedom. But freedom can never be found in the flesh. Freedom, it's only in God's spirit. Freedom isn't found in what Jesus can give us. Give us bread, give us a sign, give us words. Freedom is not found in what Jesus can give us. But only in Jesus himself. When we seek freedom in the wrong way, church, when we seek freedom in the wrong way, then we become slaves of corruption. Our freedom, it's only found in Jesus. And these kind of people, as we're reading here in this text, are causing others to become, like them, slaves of corruption. May it never be so among you. Amen? In Proverbs 28.10, this proverb stuck out to me. It says, those who lead good people along an evil path will fall into their own trap. But the honest will inherit good things. It's a good scripture. So it is better for a person to have never known a thing about Jesus than to hear truth, hold it for a season, and later on in their life they reject it. Greater revelation, remember this church, has greater accountability. Greater revelation has greater accountability. Their end is worse than the beginning, Peter says, because they've returned to the pollutions, to the filthiness of this world. Better not to have known. Write this down. Knowledge without obedience is dangerous. Knowledge without obedience is dangerous. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 24, he said of Judas, remember last week Judas? He said, it would have been better for Judas not to have been born than to have turned from the truth that he had known. It would have been better for Judas not even to have been born. So I say this to you. And I quote a person that I don't know who said it. The dog which has got rid of the corruption inside it through vomiting through vomiting it up, cannot leave well enough alone. It goes sniffing around the vomit again. And that's what the Lord calls these people. You got rid of that which was of no good. And you were caused to go back, sniff, and eat up that which you once vomited. How many of you vomited an old lifestyle that, had no, that was no good for you? Never are you to return like a dog does because I have a dog now. Never do you go back 
to your own vomit. Never. And take that vomit in again. Because God took that out of you already. So I started to think as I end of John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us some beautiful words. And he says this to the followers, to the audience that was with him. He says, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then they said, well, we're all descendants of Abraham, they said. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we, we can become free? Because they didn't understand the spiritual meaning that Jesus was saying. So Jesus responds back to him. He says, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. I'm not talking about slavery in the flesh. I'm talking about slavery in the spirit, he says. Verse 35, chapter 8, John. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free... You really will be free. You're free indeed. And that's who we're called to be. Not sold back into corruption. Not following the fables of false doctrines and false teachers and, and good people with bad intentions. Come on, church. No room for false teachers. No room for false prophets. They are not welcomed. We are the righteousness of God. Come on. We are the reign over this earth. The reign of the Lord that flows through us. How many of you could say amen? I pray that you've learned something today through this passage. I pray that you've received something today. Can you, can you stand with me real quick just to sit again? We're going to sit again after we stand for a moment just to pray. And then Rizzo's going to come up here and join me. Lord, we thank you. Because I know that in this room, we could all relate to this message. Lord, maybe we're not the false teachers and false prophets, nor false Christians. But Lord, you're calling us to be aware. You're calling us to guard ourselves. And you're calling us to really focus on what truly needs to be focused on. You're teaching us to to really lean on what needs to be leaned on. To live in what needs to be lived in. And I pray that through this message today, that we have grown, that we will mature. That just like these false teachers and false prophets, that we would not be like dried up springs, wells without water. A dark cloud yet brings no substance, no rain. I think about that fig tree that was cursed because it didn't produce any fruit. That, Lord, we would bring rain. That we would produce the fruit. That, Lord, we would be the righteousness of God on this earth. Because these are very, very alarming days. But yet the rain of God, the waters of the Lord, still flow through the land. Because your sons and daughters are still here. We pray for those that are being deceived. We pray for those that have been deceived. By sin by false teachers we pray for their hearts we pray for their minds 
We pray that you would bring them back to your love. Bring them back to your truth. Bring them back to your presence. And that their lives would be committed to you once and for all. Like the dog, that they would vomit it all out and never return to its vomit. Like the pig, that they would be clean and never return to its mud. Cleanse. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of this word. And we stay humble before your presence. It's in the mighty, holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen, Lord. Amen. Come on, give God praise. So worthy.